Would you open your Bibles this morning um, back to the book of Haggai? Back to the book of Haggai, chapter number two. The beginning of the year when I got a chance to be up here unexpectedly, um, I had a chance to preach from uh, the first chapter of Haggai. Uh, and so I felt that uh, it's time to go back. It's only been four or five weeks, but uh, might as well finish. Not today, but maybe in the next couple of times I get a chance to be up here. So the message this morning, I need to begin with a confession. I get your attention? This message was sort of written for me, not necessarily for you. Um, but because I'm a sharing person, I'm a giving person, um, you can insert whatever emoji you want. Um, I want to share it with you this morning. I say that, and I say that in jest, because every human person here in this room struggles with discouragement. And what I find interesting about Haggai, about the book of Haggai, is it only takes one message, what we talked about back in January, one message to stir the people into action. But it takes three messages, and we're not going to talk about all three this morning, but three messages alone in chapter two to keep the people moving in the right direction. Encouragement is what he's saying. The first message about getting your priorities in line, getting your priorities straight, it's a call to action. That worked. But it takes an additional three other messages to help the people continue in that same direction. And how often is that true in our own lives? I mean, we, we know this from experience, right? We can be stirred into action by a message, uh, by a plea uh, from someone we trust. Uh, even a crazy infomercial will draw us into action, like getting out our checkbooks and buying something. But the idea is that we need constant encouragement when it comes to continuing that behavior that we've, that we've decided to do. Exercise, it's always a great example of this, right? We see ads for all things related to exercise, right? Whether it's a gym membership discount, it's a home gym infomercial, something else, I don't know, that's guaranteed to help you with your fitness goals and all that kind of stuff. And most people are quickly called into action because they want those results. But days turn into weeks, and weeks turn into months, and months turn into years. Many give up because of a lack of encouragement. In fact, not having an encouragement or support system might be the number one thing that causes people not to stay committed to that initial action that they go for. But you know, I'm encouraged because as I read through some of these giants and heroes of the faith that I like to do, um, they battled discouragement. They faced great difficulties. They often um, were tempted to give up and just walk away from their calling, walk away from what God called them to do. And I think to myself, if they had walked away from all of that, we wouldn't have all of the wonderful works and wonderful writings and preaching and, and, and other things that these guys from the past have given us. Listen to a few entries uh, from the diary of John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley was the founder of a denomination we know today as the Methodist movement, although Wesley might not recognize the Methodist movement today, but that's for another sermon. Listen to some entries from his diary. Sunday morning, May 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. 
Sunday night, May 5th, preached at St. John's. Deacons said, and I quote, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either, he says. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. I guess he couldn't remember the name, the saint's name of the church, like, you know. Anyway, deacons called a special meeting and said I shouldn't return. Sunday morning, May 19th, preached on a street, kicked off the street. Sunday morning, May 26th, this is my favorite, preached in a meadow, chased out of a meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. <laughs> Sunday, June 2nd, in the morning, preached out of the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday evening, June 2nd, in the afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Wow. 10,000 people came out to hear me. After all that rejection, a lesser man would have given up. But Wesley persevered. He reached many, many souls for the cause of Christ because he wasn't willing to get up. He kept moving forward. And the bad news is that many people don't have a constant a constant encouragement needed from others to move forward, making it rather difficult to stay on track. That's the bad news, because we as people aren't perfect. But the good news is that God is always ready to be an encouragement to every child of God. And that can be simply summed up in the phrase, I am with you. And that's a reoccurring phrase. Actually, it occurs twice in this small little book of Haggai in chapter 1 and chapter 2, where he says, I am with you. Now, let me explain something. A transition here has happened between chapter 1 and chapter 2 in Haggai. Haggai has encouraged the people to consider their ways, consider where their chosen lifestyle is leading them, consider the direction that their lifestyle is taking you. God was trying to get his attention, get the attention of his people. God's house was unsecure. It was lying in ruins while the people were safe in their finished and completed houses. Their priorities were misplaced, and we talked about that. But once they got those priorities back aligned, they moved from being inactive and idle to active and taking up the work that God has given them, which in this context is to rebuilding the temple. And they started that work on the 24th day of the sixth month. It says that in chapter 1, verse 15. But when we come to chapter 2, we find that just 26 days have passed. So that's not much time since the initial construction of the temple had started. And already, already, differences are being compared between the new one and the old one. Between the old temple and the new temple. And those were becoming painfully evident. The older ones in the crowd would have been well aware of the differences because they remember the grandeur. They remember the splendor of the original temple built by Solomon. They remember that no expense was spared when it came to Solomon's temple. They remember all the gold that lined all the walls inside the temple. They remember all the ornate, ornate things. They remember it took seven and a half years to build a temple. That's a long time. By the way, do you realize there's an interesting fact about Solomon's temple? And we're going to talk just a little bit about this later on. But the interesting fact is that when they were building the temple, there was to be no noise at the temple site. First Kings chapter 6 says, 
No sound of axe, hammer, or tools of iron. No noise whatsoever. Now, if you've been to a construction site today, you know that sometimes you've got to put in earplugs. You've got to put in a hard hat because there's so much noise. So everything that was constructed at the temple was put in place in this sense of, of reverence and quiet. And can you imagine if you cut the board wrong or cut the stone wrong and you've got to haul it back, fix it, and then cut it back. So these guys probably were pretty good at their craft. Measure 100 times and cut once. Um, that would have been important. All I can say is that um, the older ones would have been aware of the significance of the date in which Haggai dated this message. I want to read you this morning, Haggai chapter 2, look at verse, chapter, or look at, uh, verse number 1. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how now do you see it in comparison with it? Is this not in your eyes as nothing? The older crowd would have seen the significance. They would have had something to compare it to. And what's even more discouraging is that in chapter 2, verse 1, it says in the seventh month of the 21st day of the month. That was exactly the 440th anniversary of when Solomon's temple was dedicated. So 440 years earlier on an anniversary, Solomon had finished and dedicated his temple. And Haggai is comparing this 26-day temple reconstruction progress in, in work to Solomon's temple. What could be more discouraging? Well, there's more. The 21st day of the month was during the week-long Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths. This was the time when the people would live in temporary shelters in memory of the time that the nation spent wandering those 40 years in the wilderness. It was also designed as a time of rejoicing over their harvest and it was also customary to bring in offerings and tithes. But the harvest this past year was almost non-existent because of the drought. I was back in chapter 1. And there were likely no joyful celebrations. They had nothing to bring. Not only is the temple in ruins, but they have no means of giving anything to the construction. Okay, now we can be depressed for a minute. What a discouraging time. But let's not stay there long because in those moments of discouragement, God is ready to help us. And many times in the darkness, it, it can be too bleak for us to see that God is working. The Lord had promised Israel that if she, if she had obeyed him, if she obeyed him, he would help them. And so to me, this passage is not really about discouragement. It's about the faithfulness of God and how he shows up. And he was with them and recognized their need to be lifted up. And he does the same for us. But sometimes we just don't see how God shows up because we're so lost in that darkness. He kept moving the people in the right direction. He kept giving them the motivation they needed to keep moving forward. So I want to sum up this little section that we're going to talk about in chapter 2, verses 1 through 9, uh, with just a couple of simple statements. The first thing is this. First, don't be discouraged because God sees your effort. Don't be discouraged because God sees your effort. Look back at verses 1 and 2 and notice carefully here. In the seventh month, on the 21st of the month, 
the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. God knew exactly, God knew exactly who he was calling for this work. He said, I see you, Joshua. I see you, Zerubbabel. I see you, the remnant of the people that have come back from Babylon. I see you. I realize you're here. I've called you to this task. I'm going to be right by, by your side. But he says, I see you. I see you. I know your name. I've called you to this task. He's very, very specific. Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the remnant of the people that have come back from Babylon to help rebuild this temple. I know who I have called. I don't make any mistakes. I know exactly who I've called. As I mentioned earlier, there's some comparison going on. The older people were upset because the new project, what is even worthy to be compared to the old? I mean, it's not even worthy to be compared. But when discouragement surfaces, our perspective often is not what it should be. Ezra chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that when the foundation of the temple was laid, the old men wept. They wept in tears because the old one looked nothing like the new one. Nothing like it. But the younger in the crowd, it says they rejoiced and they were happy because they had never seen the old one. They had nothing to compare it to. It's the difference between the pessimist and the optimist. Though the people were discouraged, God was pleased with their effort. God was pleased with the fact that they wanted to take up the work. And we know that because there's another prophet, Haggai, we're talking about, but in Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 4, which is your next book over, uh, don't turn there, but just listen, because Zechariah is saying something about this same event, and just, just hear it. Then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of its temple, and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. And he says these words, Do not despise these small things, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin again, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. But it says the Lord rejoices to see the work begin again. If God was pleased with their progress, then what else really matters, right? If God was pleased with their progress, the fact that they started to take up the building of this second temple, if God was pleased with what else matters? If God is pleased with what you're doing, where he's called you, whatever place he's put you, if God is pleased with it, then nothing else ought to matter. Honestly, nothing else ought to matter if you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. You ever consider, you know, we're making a comparison here, and we'll do it throughout the sermon between Solomon's temple and the new one they're trying to rebuild. But you ever consider that Solomon might have been discouraged <laughs> about building his temple? I mean, we're comparing everything to Solomon's temple. But you ever think that maybe he might be discouraged? Think about it. How does Solomon build something closely resembling anything that God would want to have his presence dwell in? I mean, think about it. The God that created the universe, the God that created the worlds, the God that created everything there is, spoke everything into existence out of the words of his mouth. How could Solomon even come anywhere close to making something anywhere 
close to what God would want to dwell in. Revelation tells us a lot about the throne of God. And I'm sorry, Solomon, but it's much more glorious than anything Solomon could have ever built or ever constructed. Rich or poor, small or significant, every single time we compare our work, our ministries, our service to the Lord with the service of others, discouragement always, 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 always sets in. You know, the church across the town having more success than us. We say, what are, what are we doing wrong? We become discouraged. That small group's leader's group is growing more than mine. What am I doing wrong? We get discouraged. That person's service to God is making me look really, really bad. <laughs> right? Discouragement sets in. Let's step back and gain some perspective. Let's not play the comparison game. God has never called you to be better than somebody else. You realize that? Just let that set with you. God has never called you to be better than somebody else. It's, no, it's nowhere in Scripture. God has called you to serve in a specific place, in a specific time, and for a specific purpose. If you're doing the right thing for the right reason, if you're serving the Lord where he's called you to serve with the purpose of bringing him glory, then you can be sure that God sees your effort. God sees it. He sees it. He knows exactly what you're doing. Even if nobody else in the world sees it, he does. And if he sees it, that should be all that matters. Don't be discouraged because God sees your effort. He sees Joshua. He sees Zerubbabel. He sees all the remnant of the people. He says, I've called you to this work. I know who I've called. I know what I'm doing. I've called you to this place. And God does the same thing with us today. He's called you to serve him in some capacity. Whether it might be an in-service thing, a behind-the-scenes thing, in your community, in your neighborhood, that's between you and him. But he's called you to serve him in some fashion, in some way. And if he's called you to serve him in some fashion, in some way, then he sees it. He sees your effort. It doesn't go unnoticed. A second statement here. So the first statement, don't be discouraged because God sees your effort. Number two, don't give up. God provides the strength. Don't give up. God provides the strength. Look at verse four in your text. Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the lands, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Be strong, specifically, Zerubbabel. Be strong, specifically, Joshua. Be strong, specifically, you remnant of the people that have come to do this work. Be strong and work, he says, for I am with you. The ultimate phrase of encouragement, God says, I am with you. I've called you to this task. I'm with you during the whole process of this task. God's called us to serve him. He's placed his Holy Spirit within our hearts. He's with us all the time. I am with you. You know, when Joshua is tasked with taking over the leadership from the people of Moses, can you imagine that? Talk about comparisons, right? Moses' ministry, 120 years. Well, he didn't minister that long, but he ministered for 40 years. He lived 120 years. But Moses, I mean, that's all the people in the New Testament 
the religious leaders could talk about, the law of Moses. Moses was, besides Abraham, Moses was everything to them. And Joshua now has to take over the leadership from Moses. I would not want to be in Joshua's footsteps because there was lots of comparisons, I guarantee, being made. Well, Moses didn't do it that way. Well, why are you doing this? Well, Moses would have done it this way. I could hear it under Joshua's breath. I'm not Moses. I'm not Moses. Talk about comparisons, but listen, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. Same thing in Haggai. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, do not fear, I am with you. The great commission God gives us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. I am with you. God says, I have a commission for every single New Testament <laughs> saint to get the gospel out. And oh, oh, by the way, I'll be with you when you do it. That's the encouragement that he's giving us. Even Solomon needs encouragement in building the temple. I want you to turn back. We've got a minute here. So turn back to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. I want you to look at this because this is... This is a uh, really, really good passage. First Chronicles 28, verse 10. And this is David who's talking to his son Solomon. And this is what he's saying. First Chronicles 28, verse 10. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be strong and do it. So Solomon, you're going to build the house for the Lord. Talk about a task. I don't know if I'd want to be the one who has that task. And it goes on. Then David gave his son Solomon the plants for the vestibule, his houses, his treasuries, his upper chambers, his inner chambers, the place of the mercy seat, the plants for all that he had by the spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord, all the chambers. Were. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you get the idea. He gave him the plans. Now go all the way down to verse 19. All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And David said to his son Solomon, be strong and of good courage, do it. Do not fear or be dismayed for the Lord my God. My God will be with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. Now there are a few things here. First of all, these are not just any plans that David came up with. David didn't hire an architect and say, hey, can you design me up some plans for the temple? No, God gave him those plans. God designed those plans. God created those plans. So this is not just any blueprint. I mean, can you imagine I mean, this is a blueprint that came from the hand of God as he builds this temple. Just like when Moses built the tabernacle in the Old Testament, he got the instructions up on Mount Sinai. And he recounted those instructions. He must have had a good memory <laughs> for the people. I mean, this came from the hands of God, right? And now Solomon is tasked with building this work. I mean, all the things that God has created in the world in the universe. 
And yet God says to David, or excuse me, God says to Solomon, well, to David, to Solomon eventually, that I want you to build this and here are the plans. Here are the plans. Build this. Can you imagine building something that came directly from God? That's, that's amazing. You think about it. But in the same time, in the same breath, he says, verse 20, be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear or be dismayed for the Lord your God. My God will be with you. He will not leave you or for, or he will not leave you or forsake you. Can you imagine? Then look over chapter 29, verse 1. It says, furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, my son Solomon, whom alone has chosen, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. I mean, can you imagine Solomon thinking, oh man, I better get this right. <laughs> I'm not going to cut any corners. I'm going to make sure this is exactly as God intends it to be. Can you imagine taking on that task? Verse 20 of First Chronicles is very similar to the message of Haggai. Taking up the task of building. You know, we're all human. We have days when, when giving up looks better and better. But the advice the world has to offer tends to be really, really bad. <laughs> I mean, when the world says, be strong, I know you've got it in you. It's like the worst advice ever isn't it? Be strong. I know you've got it in you. I'm sorry, but that's like the worst advice ever. Because the reason for your strength is through the power of the Spirit that lives inside of you. The reason for your strength is that God is with you. Earlier, I referenced in Zechariah chapter 4, but a few verses earlier, it says, not by might nor by power, but by my, my, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Did you know that the first part of this verse says the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel is specifically for him. That verse that we take and we use not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We've probably quoted it so many times. It might be a life verse of yours. It came out of this context of rebuilding the temple, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The only way the only way that we're going to complete God's work that he's called us to do is with his help, with his spirit, with his strength. Sometimes we're given tasks uh, that really stretch us emotionally, physically, uh, mentally. Weakness and discouragement set in. The light of the tunnel shifts from being bright to being really, really dim. And we battle with this. I want to trust. I want to do. And we get so discouraged. Well, the Lord provides some extra encouragement here in verse 5. The Lord also says he'll give strength based upon the past. What verse 5 says. It says, according to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. For hundreds of years, the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt. And God sends Moses to deliver them from their enslavement of Egypt. And he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. 
And God says, you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You know, just as God was with those people who departed from Egypt to the promised land, God was with those people that departed from the exile to this work. And the same spirit that God gave for help in the Old Testament is the same spirit that God gives us today for help. He's saying, look, to the past, there's encouragement. The point is that God's spirit, God's presence never left them. He gave them ample, ample strength in the past. And if God has given them enough strength in the past, then he's surely given us enough strength for what he's laid before us. You know, the task that God has given us might not be as important or um, life-altering, we might say, as constructing a temple. And I'm talking about the scope of what God has given us to complete. But what is not different is the same spirit of encouragement, the same spirit of strength that was given to Israel in the past is standing ready to provide us the same encouragement that we need to finish our tasks. I can't help but think of the book of Nehemiah, and the story of Nehemiah is building the walls around Jerusalem. Because after the temple gets completed in the book of Haggai, 80, 100 years later or so, the walls need to be built to protect the temple, right? That makes sense, to protect the city. And so Nehemiah takes up the task of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. During the process of rebuilding the walls, he's hit by the enemy's darts constantly. Chapter four, five, and six of Nehemiah, it's all about the distractions that prevent you from doing what God has called you to do, from doing that work that he's called you to do. There's a list of nine or 10 of them in that text. And they get into our thinking and they lead us to think that the task at hand is impossible. But what's amazing about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah was hit with darts in every single direction. But in only 52 days, in just 52 days, the wall of Jerusalem was completed. In just 52 days, the work was completed. God gave the people the strength they needed because they didn't stop in the middle of the discouraging work. They could have stopped and said, okay, we're going to stop and wait until everything clears out and we can build the temple in peace. No, they kept going. They kept moving forward. And if God has called you to do something in the middle of that task, it's not time to stop. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep moving forward, knowing that I'm going to be with you, he says. I'm there beside you the whole entire time. You may not feel me. You may not think I'm there, but I've promised that I'm going to be there the whole time. So don't stop. Keep moving forward. I mean, in the story of Nehemiah, the guys are building on the wall with one hand or constructing with the other hand. They've got a sword in their hand. They're ready. Talk about being exhausted when the day is over. But God gave the people the ample strength they needed to complete their task. Please don't give up. God provides all the strength that you need. And he provides it differently to each person. But the fact is that God is ready and willing. He's, he's right there, ready and willing to give you that constant encouragement you need. 
the third statement here. Don't be afraid. God is in control. Don't be afraid. God is in control. So Haggai calls the people to say, let, let me give you a, a little future look into what the temple is going to look like in the future. Right now, the construction of the second temple doesn't compare to the first one. He says, I know that. But once again, the perspective of the people is where it shouldn't be. You may have heard the story of a man who was standing outside of a store watching another man whittle little wooden dogs. I'll get it. That's not a tongue twister, but whittle little wooden dogs, okay? And the story goes that the, the, this whittler had an amazing craft, and he would methodically and without hesitation whittle down a little piece of wood to a dog. And he would give it away to whoever there was watching him. A lot of times, kids were. So there was a man here in the story that asked the whittler about his craft. He says, tell me, how in the world, how can you do that? You take that piece and you just go to town. How do you do that? And the, will, he, the one who was whittling, he paused for a moment and he looked at the piece of wood and, and he thought, well, I simply take a piece of wood in my hand and then I get rid of every part of it that doesn't look like a dog. You know, most of us look at a piece of wood and see a piece of wood, right? But this artist looks at a piece of wood and sees it as a dog. You see, it's all about perspective. To the Jewish people, God was asking them to do what was underwhelming and underimpressive or unimpressive. But they failed to realize an important point here. They failed to realize that service done in the name of Christ is always bigger than the results we can see. Service done in the name of Christ is always bigger than the results that we can see. They couldn't see past the work of their own hands. And that's some of our problem today too. We go to the work of doing work for Christ and we can't see past our own hands. Oh, I must not be doing the right thing. I'm not seeing any results from it. We can't see past the work of our own physical hands. But God gives the people a look into the future. He says, just like when I shook up things and brought you out of Egypt, I'm going to shake up things again in the future when I return to establish my kingdom on earth. Look at what verses 6, 7, 8, 9 say. It says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once more... It is a little while I will shake the heaven and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations and I will fill this temple with his glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. God says, Let me take care of the temple status and grandeur, okay? I will do that in the future. Your work that you're doing right here, you don't realize how important this is. By the way, you realize that the work they're doing here to rebuild this temple, this would be the temple that Herod takes up in the New Testament to renovate. It's the very temple that the Son of God walked into and walked through. That's the very one, this one here. So don't tell me the task is not important. But God is saying that this temple and all about it 
in the future, Israel, I'm going to take care of it. It's going to function the way it's supposed to. You're going to be a light to the nations like I've wanted you to. Let's leave the temple status and grandeur as a matter for something for God to deal with. You know, it's just easy to get distracted by looking at the great things other Christians have done in the past. And, you know, they conclude that their contribution is so insignificant that's not worth the time or effort. Sometimes we think that our ministries are insignificant or really, I mean, what good does it really do? I mean, honestly, I mean, I come to church on a Sunday and once a month I watch a baby in the nursery. I mean, what good does that really do? I mean, that's an hour. I mean, surely I could be doing other things more significant for the glory of God than, than, than holding a baby for, for once a month, one time on a Sunday morning for an hour. <clears throat> Step back and look at the perspective of a mother. To her, that hour is golden. To her, she may have been so busy with a baby during the week that this is the only hour that she gets to have any type of spiritual time with the Lord. For that one hour, you realize how busy a young mother is with one, let alone two or three little ones at the house? You realize how much time is spent every single day when the baby's sleeping, she's sleeping. <laughs> when the baby's up, she's up. She doesn't have any time, so she comes to church. She comes to worship. And she gives the baby away to a smiling face downstairs in a nursery that says, I will love your baby with compassion and kindness. I can do it at least for an hour. And that mom can go upstairs and she can sit in the service and if anything, rest and just take in the preaching of God's word. Take in that spiritual growth, that spiritual development that she needs. If only for an hour a week. You tell me that that is not a significant ministry that God may have called somebody to. Now, we don't want everybody watching babies in the nursery. But imagine that. Or you may say, hey, I'm just a greeter. All I do is greet people as they come in the church, and I, and I give them, you know, the Connect magazine, and I give them the, the handout for the week, and I smile and say hello, and I greet them. Do you realize that people coming through the door that you might be the only smiling face, the only kind greeting that they've had all week from anybody. You don't know where they've come from. You don't know the world that they live in. You don't know uh, the work environment that they're in. For you to actually greet them and say hello in a smiling face, they would give anything to have that at work. <laughs> well, I'm just a greeter. I just, I just, you know. I just greet people at the door. That's not really significant. Do you realize how significant that is? How important that is? How life-changing that can be? You could be the difference between them coming back or them never coming back. <laughs> Sometimes we look and we get distracted. My contribution is not as significant. My contribution is not worthy. 
my contribution, there's not really. If I was gone, nobody would really miss me. You know, you may think of your ministry and your service as insignificant, but, but God doesn't. And to serve a great God is to do a great thing for a God who is in the middle of it, and God will take it and work it to his eternal glory long after the temporary results of any ministry has, has come and gone. We need to focus on what God has given us to do, not on what others did. And we need to concentrate on serving him faithfully, not being so distracted with comparisons. Comparisons are all around us every single time. They're all over the world. Everything is comparisons. Comparisons, comparisons, comparisons. And the place that we ought not do it is in the house of God. The place that it ought to be different is in the house of God. Because God has gifted every single person with a specific gift to be used for a specific ministry. And if you're doing that, then you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. There should be no reason to think otherwise. And if we say that our gift, well, what I do is really insignificant, then you're really saying, God, what you've given me, I think I know what's better. You're saying that you know better than God, and you don't. Just in case you think you do, you don't. Let me fix that. Don't be discouraged. God sees your effort. He sees it. Even though nobody else sees it, he does. He knows how hard you've been working. He knows how difficult it's been. He knows that, that you've been doing that for years and nobody has noticed. He sees it. He's right there in the middle of it. He knows. Don't give up because God provides all the strength that you need. All the strength. He says, for I am with you. What more strength do we need when God says, for I am with you, 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 for I am with you? What more strength do we need? What more encouragement do we need when people let us down? And don't give us the constant encouragement that we probably deserve and probably need. God is sitting there just waiting for us. I'm with you. I'm right here. I've been here the whole time. Come on, you got this. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. I know you had a bad day yesterday. That's fine. Let's move on to the next day. Come on, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Do you realize that if you don't, if you don't really, if you're not really um, have a service or, or, or something you're involved in with serving God, the one thing that every person is involved in is we are conforming ourselves to the image of Christ. Okay? That's the one thing that we all work at every single day. Every single day we work at this one thing of being more and more like Christ. It's a lifetime pursuit Okay? It's a lifetime pursuit, but every single one of us. And you know what? Some days aren't so good, are they? Some days are really messy. Some days are downright nasty. Some days you think, why does he even pay attention to me? Other days you feel a little better, right? I did good today. I did what I was supposed to do. Hey, God answered my prayer today. But we're all, we're all 
trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. But every single one of us in that process gets discouraged. Well, I'm not where I should be. Shouldn't I be further along? Shouldn't I be here? Shouldn't I be here? And we start making comparisons again. He can't do that. You've just got to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Yeah, it seems like you take one step forward and ten steps back. I know, I get it. But keep moving forward. Keep plugging along. Don't give up because God provides all the strength that you need. And then don't be afraid because, listen, God knows what he's doing. God is in complete control of the situation. I mean, look what God has done for Israel in the, in the past. Look at what he's done for us in the past. He knows what he's doing. If we could just get that into our brains, we could just understand that and come to grips with that in a real tangible way that he's in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. You know, the world we look at, we say, man, this world is just messed up. And it is because of sin. That's what sin does. Sin messes things up. And we think, Lord, why? Why, why? And and I think as the older you get in life, the more, um, let me find a good word, the more um, frustrated you become, the more calloused you become. You're getting discouraged. Don't be discouraged because God sees your effort. Don't give up. God provides the strength. And listen, don't be afraid because God is in control. If there's anything that ought to give you hope, is that the fact that God is in control and he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, he knew that a Chinese weather balloon was going across the United States. He knew that. Okay? It didn't surprise him. Okay? He knew that. As strange as that might have been, he knew that. He knows everything that's going on across the world, across the nation, in the hearts and minds of every single person. He knows exactly what's going on. And if he's in control, then our job is to simply trust that he's got everything in control and not be discouraged. I can't imagine what it must have been like for the people to start rebuilding a temple, especially the older ones, knowing that this is nothing like, nothing like the original one. Nothing like the original one. But yet, They took up the work and they did it. And God says, that's all that matters is that you actually do the work that I've called you to do. It might not be as glorious as the original temple, but it's still the work that I've called you to do because I know what I'm doing. Trust me and simply do the work. And don't get discouraged. Keep moving forward. Because you know what happens the minute you stop. It's so much harder to start back up. The minute you stop, those legs lock up. The cramps set in, right? (laughs) The minute you stop, you've got to keep moving forward. So take encouragement this morning from the book of Haggai. Take encouragement from this text and keep moving forward in your spiritual life. In the service that God has called you to do, keep moving forward. Go after it. Even though the world's not going to see, it doesn't matter. The only person that matters is God. And if you're serving him, And if you're doing it for the right reasons, then he sees you. He does. He sees you.